sometimes uh, called the lentil or Lent season. season. Um, the Catholic Church recognizes it on Ash Wednesday um, with the ash cross on the forehead, but many of the Episcopal uh, leaders just simply uh, begin their season uh, on, on Ash Wednesday on that day. Uh, the, and with that, I'm going to get a week ahead next week. I know I have been prepared to start leading us into our Resurrection Sunday uh, messages. And I usually do that with a three-week series or so leading into the resurrection of Jesus Christ, which uh, is the culmination or maybe even the, the highest uh, celebration day for all Christians across the world. But um, we're closing a season called It's Amazing. Has this, this series been blessing anybody besides me? Amen. Uh, we're closing a series called It's Amazing. Uh, but I do want to move into next week. So I'm going to kind of have my feet straddled in both sermon series today, both in It's Amazing and both in The Resurrection. So if you could stay with me, uh, I, I don't want to get into Easter too soon, but I, and, I, and I don't want to uh, leave um, It's Amazing prematurely because God has been so amazing there are some things that we should just give him praise for. Amen. There are some things we should just give him praise for. So let's start in Luke 22. I'll add more after I let you guys release you to sit back down. Verse uh, 29, this is Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. And we'll talk more about the Garden of Gethsemane in a couple of weeks. Uh, so I don't want to spend too much time on the Garden. But there is something in it that is um, in, this, in this particular text that I want to extrapolate and, and extract for us rather so that we can talk more about. Verse 39, if you got it, shout, I got it. All right, if you can't find 39, say, Lord, help me. All right, it says, coming out, reading from the New King James Version, he went to the Mount of Olives as, was, as he was accustomed and his disciples also followed him. And when he came to the place, he said to them, pray that you may not enter into temptation. Somebody shall pray that you may not enter into temptation. And he was withdrawn from them about a stone's throw away. And he knelt down and prayed, saying, Father, if this is your will, take this cup from me. Nevertheless, somebody shout nevertheless. Repeat after me, not my will, but yours be done. And then an angel appeared to him from heaven, strengthening him, and being in agony, he prayed more earnestly. His sweat began to became like great drops of blood falling on the ground. And when he arose from his prayer, he had come to the disciples, and he found them sleeping from sorrow. Somebody shout, sleeping from sorrow. Then he said to them, why do you sleep? Arise and pray, lest you enter into temptation. Arise and pray. Rise up, get up, start praying, lest you enter into temptations, right? And the word of the Lord is blessed. I want you to find, uh, we're talking again on, 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 the, on, it's amazing. So I want you to find three people and I want you to tell them an amazing decision, an amazing decision, <clears throat> an amazing decision, an amazing decision, <clears throat> an amazing decision. All right, now find that last person that you said amazing decision to and say, a decision to die. A decision 
to die. Father, I do bless you in the name of Jesus. Father, I pray that in, uh, in, in this space, we would give you place to be God, that you would, we would give you place to speak to us, that you would, we would give you place, Father, to, to calm the elements that would remove the opportunity for us to hear what the Spirit of the Lord is saying. Father, I pray you would calm our weak, calm our confusions, calm whatever's in this room, calm what's swirling through our head, calm what's in the top, calm what's at the bottom, calm what's in the depths, calm what's in the front, calm what's in the back, that the spirit of the Lord may be clearly heard today. And in this, I give you the praise and the glory. In Jesus' name, somebody shout amen. Amen. Smile and look at somebody as you grab your seat and say, it's just church, it's all right. It's just church. I want to read a quote to you by C.S. Lewis before we get started. I want to read a quote to you. Uh, <clears throat> we're talking about an amazing decision. Somebody shout decision. All right. Decisions are, are conclusions or resolutions about something. Conclusions are resolution or resolutions about something. And, and for too many of us in this room, I suspect that you really don't need deliverance as much as you need to make a decision. Amen. I want, I want to talk to some people. You've been praying over some stuff, and you've been asking God to do some things. You've been asking God to make some ways for you. And God is saying that the way has been made. I've already did the thing. Now make a decision. All right? So a decision is conclusion or resolution about something. I want to read this quote from C.S. Lewis for you. He says, we are not living in a world where all roads are radii of a circle and where all, if followed long enough, will therefore draw gradually nearer and finally meet at the center. Rather, we live in a world where every road, after a few miles, forks into two, and each of those roads into two again, and at each fork, you must make a decision, end quote. The whole crux of walking with the Lord, the whole crux of walking with God is centered around decision making. It's centered around making a series of decisions that honor God, that dishonor God, that honor yourself, that dishonor yourself. It is a series of decisions that will either catapult you into new seasons of your life or will hold you back into the seasons that you remain, that you remain in. God, of the most amazing gifts that he has given each of us, he has given us the gift to make decisions. You have the opportunity to make decisions about your life. I know you might feel like life has brought you so much that you don't have any choices, but that's a lie from the devil. You have choices, and the church said, amen, amen. Living in the hood doesn't mean you have to be a thief. Living around drug addicts doesn't mean you have to use drugs. Living in the suburbs doesn't mean you have to be snooty. There's, you've got choices and decisions that you get to make every day of your life. That is why people who have been dealt a murkier hand than you have managed to get out of those scenarios, not because they're more sanctified than you, not because God is with them more than he's with you, but because they made decisions that where I am, I won't always be. And the church said, somebody shall make a decision. 
Life is about decisions, who you'll marry, where you'll go to school, if you're going to wake up every day and go to work or stay on your couch. Life is about choices and it's about decisions. And it's about conclusions and resolutions. I found that to be really interesting as it related to the definition of decisions is that decisions are oftentimes made at the conclusion of looking at a certain level of facts or resolution after having looked at a certain level of facts. So I have observed what is happening in my world and I come to some conclusions about what I have observed and then I make decisions. That's critical because psychology 101 teaches us that we very rarely override what we have made conclusions about. Which means that if you are not where you believe that God wants you to be in this world, it's probably not because the world has stopped you. It's because you made some conclusions about the journey. And based on those conclusions, you made some decisions that have prohibited you from going toward the journey the way God has challenged you to go for it. Decisions put responsibility back in your hands and not on anybody else's hands. I want to talk to some people that want to take responsibility for their life. This one, on this one, I can't preach to everybody, but I want to talk to people that don't want to blame the man for this one. I want to talk to some folks that don't want to blame how they grew up for this one. I want to preach to some folks that don't want to blame who hurt you and who messed you over, but people that are saying that the life God gave me is my responsibility to bring it to pass the way God has spoken to my heart. I thank God that when he wants something from me, he tells me before he tells everybody else. And any word from the Lord that I get is a confirmation of what God has already spoken to me. God has been speaking to you more than you've been giving him credit for speaking to you. And anytime we come to you and give you a word from the Lord, it should be a confirmation of what God has spoken. Why would God speak it to you? Because the decision for you going to your next place is not on the prophet, the pastor, or the preacher. It's going to be on the person that's sitting in the chair you're in right now. You've got to make decisions about your life. Somebody shout decisions. Somebody shout decisions. Decisions are critical. They are important for us. Every decision you make, you, everything, when you make a decision, I'll, I'll restate it like this. When you make a decision, everything in your life has to shift to try to accommodate the decision you made. That's how powerful decisions are. When you make a decision, everything has to shift in order for it to accommodate what you just made a decision on. If it doesn't shift, it usually falls off. I'm going to help you with something. When you are chasing the destiny that God called for you and you start making decisions to get you to your God-given destiny, when you make a shift, everything that is supposed to be with you will shift with you. And everything that's not supposed to be with you won't shift with you. You cannot reshift to accommodate what couldn't shift. And you cannot not shift because you want folks that can't shift to be on your boat. When you are chasing God, God will require you to make decisions and when you make these decisions some of the people that start with you will not finish with you. I'm going somewhere. Somebody shout, he's going somewhere. 
and above all, you've got to detach your heart from your decision. What do I mean? That doesn't mean be heartless. But remember what we talked about when we talked about the heart. The Bible said that it is deceitful and wicked above all things. In other words, your heart will attach to things over sympathy. Your heart will attach to things because that's what they said I'm supposed to do. Your heart will attach to things because your mama said that this is the way it should always be. But just because they said so and this is the way it should be doesn't mean it is so. And if you let your heart guide you, your heart will lock into things that are not moving towards your destiny. But if you will allow your decisions made what the Bible says, a sound mind, if you will allow your decisions to be governed by the presence, the purpose, and the power of God, then your heart and your decisions will sometimes go opposite. Listen to me. Trust the decision that God gave you over your heart because your heart right now has got you sitting next to some folks that you wish you would have made a different decision about a few years I wish I was preaching to somebody in here. Am I, talk, am I by myself in here? Am I just, can I, am I, can, I, can I talk to the city of Hope International? Somebody shout, make a God decision. Make a God decision. And, 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 the, and, and there cannot perhaps be a place, I know that was tough to say amen to you. I was just, everybody looking at me, holding their breath like, mm, 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 me. So listen, I want you to hear what I'm going to say. Because there probably is no place in the Bible that, that typifies or exemplifies the process of what it takes to make a decision quite like the Garden of Gethsemane. Gethsemane was, um, it was, a, it was a stone. A Gethsemane is a stone. It's a large stone that was used to press olive oils, uh, olive seeds rather. It was meant to press olive seeds. And this big rock, it was just called a Gethsemane rock, it was rolled back and forth over olive seeds and it would press the juice out of the olive seeds to produce the olive oil. And the Garden of Gethsemane was an interesting place because this is the place, the Garden of Gethsemane, which basically was a garden of olive presses. It was, uh, it was a place that had tons of olive trees, but there were also tons of olive presses within the tree, within the, the, what they called a garden, which was basically a big old forest. That It was uh, a ton of presses scattered throughout this huge forest where if you were picking olives, you can sprinkle them out, you can roll the Gethsemane on them and the oil would come out and flow. The oil has always been, olive oil, biblical, has always been typified of the anointing of God. The, the stone is your trial or the things that will come into your life. And the process of laying the stone or the trials over your anointing produces an oil that, that God can use. And this is very typical of Bible teaching that you will never have an anointing of God if you don't allow the stuff in your life to press it out of you. I'm going to help somebody here that don't want no problems. You don't ever want to get sick. You want to go to heaven, do the will of God, but you don't want to be talked about and you don't want to be challenged. You don't want, it don't work like that. You don't get the anointing without a little pressing. Amen. You don't get that kind of power, that, that power that devils back up from, that power that allows you to will things into your life. You don't get that without a little pressing. I want to talk to my millennials now. Is that you don't, and you don't get pressed overnight. Pressing has to take some time. They don't just lay the rock on the oil. They have to roll it back and forth and give it some time to press because there are some spaces in your life that one season will release a little oil, but there are still pockets of your life that have 
oil that if it's not sustained over a period of time. So don't give up on God because you've been praying a whole week. Am I talking to anybody here? Don't give up on God because you've been believing for a month and a half. Don't give up on God. Sometimes God has to let the stone rest on your life. And we go through prolonged seasons of pain in order to produce the kind of anointing that we have to have in order for the purpose of God to come to play in our lives. I want to talk to somebody that's been asking God how long. And God told me to tell you it'll be as long as it takes to get the oil that it takes for you to finish what I told you to do. God, I'm preaching and y'all are not saying amen. Somebody shout, as long as it takes. As long as as it takes to produce the oil that it takes so that you can finish the purpose that God takes. God is not going to send you into a problem without enough anointing for you to come out of it with. He doesn't do that. He's not going to send you. So your right now is not stagnated. Your pain is not being forgotten. Your pain is God pressing more oil out of you so you'll have enough anointing for where he's trying to take you to. Have, have you that, and that's half, half the problem right there. We don't see our purpose as being big enough. Your purpose is so big, you need a couple years of pain. Okay, I'm going to talk to this group over here. Your, your me- what God has for you is so enormous, you need a few nights to cry and a few opportunities. And that's why you can't look at your tears and say, God has forsaken me. You need to look at your tears and say, God must be getting ready to use me because with my tears come out my anointing. And if I can wait a little while under the weight of my Gethsemane, he's going to produce an oil that the devil doesn't want to see touch your neighbor say that's why that's why that's why we're going through like we're going through that's why we're dealing with what we're dealing with because God's trying to press something out of us and then Gethsemane is the place where Jesus has to make the decision he has to look at the facts of his journey and he has to make the choice and the decision that God is going to use him for something enormous and he has to look at the facts and he has to make a decision that he is going to do what it takes in order for the will of God to come out in his life and the only decision that he has to make in this moment in Gethsemane is will he decide to die? Will he decide to die? That is his only decision. Not will I go to a cross and be beaten. It's not will I go to, uh, uh, to uh, Caiaphas' house and be tried. It's not will I be, will I be bruised and will I be nailed up uh, on a cross. He didn't have to make those decisions. All those decisions could not, have be made, could not have been made if he would not have had to make the primary decision, which is, Will I die? He had to make the decision to die. When he decided to die, the cross came with it. When he said, I'm going to die, the beating came with it. When he said, I'm going to die, the trial came with it. He didn't have to ask God, send me to a trial. All he had to do was say, I'm ready to die. And when he made the decision to die, all of the other stuff came with it. See, here's the thing that we worry too much about. We worry about how God's going to get us there instead of worrying about the fact that God said we should be there and you're waiting on instances to get you there when all you got to do is make a decision I'm going to get there and the instances will begin to appear in your life I want to preach to somebody that's made up their mind that they are going to be everything that God told them to be I'm going to get to where God told me to get to I'm going to walk in what God told me to walk in and you don't have to manufacture problems problems will show up with your purpose 
But you've got to come into agreement with your purpose and God will bring everything necessary to build you a road to get to where he promised you. But today, I just want to preach to folks that have made a decision. Somebody shout, I made a decision. I made... Now, 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 before you say that out loud, you better be careful saying that I made a decision because the haters come when you make a decision. And, 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 and uh, y'all not talking back to me. And people that don't like you show up when you make a decision. And, the, and the who you think you are now is when you made a decision. That you don't remember. I remember you when, when you make a decision. Those kinds of folks make, show up when you make a decision. But I'm here to tell you that if God said it, you've got to decide on it. And if you decide on it, he will empower you to get through everything that will appear in your life because you made a decision. Somebody shall decide. Got to decide something. That's why he said, choose this day who you going to serve. He said, decide something on me. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. He said, you got the kingdom of darkness and the kingdom of heaven. Now repent. Change your mind. Make a decision about the kingdom of God because it's at hand. This is the way God operates. He operates in decision. It's no use of you coming to this altar if you haven't made up your mind that you're going to live different than the way you started. I wish I was helping somebody in here. There is no reason of you saying pray for me. I remember when I got saved. When I got saved, uh, I came down and the first time I went to an altar to get saved, I asked the man to pray for me that I would have the mind to get saved. And, and when he said, he said, I ain't praying for you to have a mind to get saved. He said, Fletcher, make up your mind whether you're going to get saved or not. After we left, I came out in the back after he left, he didn't pray for me, and he came and he told somebody, he said, get there, young man, and tell him to come into, into the back and talk to me. I went to the back to talk to, to the pastor, and I, he said, what was this making, what is this pray for the mind to get saved? He said, if your mind ain't made up, you might as well stay in your seat. And, and this is what I'm telling some people in here. If your mind isn't made up, stop asking God for the provision for something you haven't made your mind up, you're going to walk in. Huh? I'm preaching better than y'all saying amen. God, send me the money. God, send me the house. God, send me the this. God, send me the resources. You haven't even made up your mind you're going to stay in ministry. Why would I send you the resources to be a good minister? You haven't even made up in your mind you're going to run the business I put in your spirit. Why would I send you the resources for a business? When you make up your mind, then God will tell everything in the universe there is a made up mind. And he'll command the angels, move in her life. He'll tell the devil back up out of their life. But it happens when there's a made up mind. Somebody shout make up your mind. Make up your mind. Make up your mind. Who are you going to be? How are you going to maneuver in this world? How are you going to operate in this world? Who do you want people to see you as? How do you want the world to approach you? All of that is the decision you've got to make. And it can't change every time somebody on Instagram changes. you got to know who you are. I wish I was preaching to somebody in here. And don't think that's just for the millennials. I watch grown folks cut their hair and change their clothes because they see something on Facebook or Instagram or one of them crazy. Hey, the devil is a liar. God is looking for folks that know who they are, have decided to walk in who he's called them to be, and those are the folks that God will be blessing in this next season or it's folks that have a made-up mind. Make up your mind. 
Make up your mind and live with your decisions. You make a decision and you live with your mind. So Jesus is now in the Garden of Gethsemane and he's got to make up his mind. He has to make up his mind that I am going to die. I'm going to the end of this thing. I'm going, I'm going to die. And the Bible says that he brings his, his disciples into uh, the garden and he separates himself from the 12. And he brings Peter, uh, and James, and John. Uh, he brings them with him. And he tells them to come and walk into the garden with him. And he is deciding while he's moving in the garden that I'm going to die. Now, the thing about making a decision doesn't mean that you're going to be okay with everything that comes with that decision. But because you've made a decision, you're willing to go through everything it takes to honor that decision. And one of the things he had to do first is he had to get nine of them away from the rest of them because he understood that Peter, James, and John are going to help get me to this cross. Those other nine are just going to be watching. And you cannot get to where God I told you to get to with too many spectators following the galley. Uh -huh. Too many folks looking. Can't, that because when there are too many folks, you got to worry about who's cheering for you or who's not cheering for you. When there's too many folks, you got to worry about who wants to be you and who can support you. When there's too many folks, you've got, y'all are not talking back to me. When there are too many folks, too many people will tell you you're doing it right and nobody will say you're doing it wrong. When there's too many folks around you, you'll get lost in the applause of too many instead of being moved by the criticism of the few so the first thing he did is he told nine of them you gotta stay here because where I'm going you just gonna hold me back I love you I like you it ain't no drama but you can't come with us but Peter James and John and you might get jealous or mad at me and jealous of them for where we are going but we've got to go anyway tell your neighbor you gotta go anyway you got to go Anyway, when he gets into the garden, the Bible tells us that he tells them, he says, I want you guys to stay here and I want you to pray lest you enter into temptation. And if Jesus had to make a decision to die, there are three things that we're going to extrapolate from this scripture that you and I have to die to in order to get to the place that God promised us. He told the disciples for the first thing. He tells, the, he tells those three. He says, come with me. He said, but I want you to stay here and pray lest you be entered into by temptation. Somebody shout, you have to die to temptation. Say, say that loud. Shout, die to temptation. You, there has to be a decision that whatever is going to show up in my life to tempt me, I'm going to fight it with everything that I have in order for the will of God to happen in my life. I want you to understand, because I don't want you to walk in this base definition about temptation, that some pretty woman is going to walk past you and you're going to flip your eye. Unless you're a fool, you shouldn't be looking at a woman while you got your woman on your arm. Unless you are a fool, and there are some fools around, but I ain't talking to the fools. So, you know, but I'm not just talking about basic temptation. Oh, if the money is there, then you've got to take it, you know, tempt it to take. I'm not talking about temptation like that because when the Bible speaks about temptation, he is oftentimes not talking about the things that lure you to do evil. This is why the Bible teaches us that God does not tempt us. This is now in the book of James where he says tempt, which is a different word than that is used in the book of, in the gospels when the word temptation is used. Temptation in the book uh, uh, that James speaks about is the temptation that lures us to do something that 
puts that 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 finagles itself at a particular weakness in our lives. I'm not talking about that. I'm not talking about Christians that can't stay in their own bed. I'm not talking about folks that can't that got us that will steal before they work hard for it. I'm not talking about people that want the shortcut. That you're not ready for this conversation if you're still trying to get a shortcut to where God is trying to take you. There are no shortcuts to where God wants to take your life. I'm going to help you in this place. There are, haven't you learned that every time you tried a shortcut, it came back and bit you anyway? You had to start over again, do it again, try it again, practice it again, because in God there are no shortcuts. There are only breakthroughs in which God will transport you from one dimension into the next dimension, but God will never allow there to be a shortcut in your life. You are not going to outsmart the process. No, you're not. You're not going to outsmart the process. So when I talk about temptation, somebody shout temptation. When I talk about temptation, we talk about it the way the Bible talks about temptation. In, tempt in the Bible, when the scripture talks about temptation, nayer is the word that is used in the Old Testament for temptation. And when God tempts you, it is connected, most closely connected to testing your decision. When God tempts you, what he is doing is not trying to get you to fall. He's trying to test your commitment to the decision that you made. God, watch with me now. And so when God shows up, God wants to see that you made a decision on your life. And God is saying, before I release you into the next dimension of your journey, I'm going to test you to make sure you are committed to what I've spoken over your life. So God will send temptation in your life not to break you and to make you sin that's base level temptation but to make you be committed to the big picture that he has spoken over your life one of the problems in society today is that we don't have a big picture anymore well we live moment to moment day to day bill to bill, rent check to rent check. And that's why we never save because we don't have a bigger picture. But if you had a bigger picture, then you find a way to make my daily needs get met while I prepare for the bigger picture that I see in this house, in this life. Is there anybody in here that's got a dream or a goal that God put in your spirit? I'm not talking about something you saw in a magazine, something that God put in your spirit, something that God promised that you'd have, promised that you walk in if you can get come into agreement with the promise that God has spoken over your life you can not only live in the now you can prepare for your destiny but there has to be something bigger happening in your mind that you've got to make a decision about somebody shout there has to be something bigger and so you've got to die to temptation. You can't wake up every morning bemoaning the process. God, why do I have to go through so much pain? Because it's the test that you can get through the pain to get to your next level. God, why do I have to be rejected every month? Because rejection is the test you've got to pass to get to your next level. God, how come I don't have enough resources? Because faith is the test you had to pass in order to get to the next level. I'm going to preach till you say amen. God, how come I've got to be sick? Because believing me for healing is the test you've got to pass in order to get to your next. Haven't you understood that your next level requires that you show up ready to compete when you get there? I need 
need somebody to raise their voice and shout, I'll be ready. I'll be ready. God says, you're not going to get to where I'm trying to get you to and not be prepared. So the Bible said that the spirit came to Jesus and led him into the desert so that he would be tested. Not that he would fail, but so that he could be, he could be challenged enough to build the spiritual vitality that when he walked out of the desert, whatever is on the other side of the desert could, will not defeat him because the desert got him prepared for what was on the other side. So the devil is often in your desert. God help me in this place the devil is in your desert and that's why you're going through and having so many battles with the enemy right now it's because you're in the desert but in the desert is where you're going to learn how to pray in the desert is where you're going to learn the power of your no in the desert is where you're going to be clear that this is where God wants me to be in the de- watch this and if you can get clear you can tell the devil no when he brings you bread when God wants you to have a kingdom when he tells you that you can have a little bit of power when God wants you to have all power y'all are not talking back to me in here I need somebody that will die to the temptation to take the easy route out to raise your voice and give God a shout I wish I had some help in here give God a shout somebody shout die to the temptation to quit Die to the temptation to give up. Die to the temptation to take a little temporary victory and forfeit the major win. Got to die to it. Somebody shall kill it off. You got to kill it off. You got to kill it off. You got to kill it off. You're not going to buy me for a thousand when God called me a millionaire. You got to kill it off. You're not going to buy me for a one night stand when God called me to be a wife or a husband. You're not going to buy. Y'all are not talking back to me in here. You're not going to buy me cheap. Die to the temptation. Because it's just a test. Somebody shout it's a test. The second place you got to die to is you got to die to self. Somebody shout die to self. God, I wish I was preaching to somebody in here. Yeah, everybody going to dance and shout about dying to temptation. But what if you are your temptor? God, help me in this. You are your temptor. I have learned that arrogancy is the demon that is most prevailing in the church. The arrogancy because you've got power. And when we've got power, we're able to do things that are beyond our natural abilities. And sometimes when people can do stuff that people will applaud, we get arrogant because we got a little bit of power. But that's not the way God intended for it to be. He didn't intend to give you power to touch the throne so that you can compare your throne touching to the throne touches next to you. Everybody's got an anointing. That's what the Bible say. He say everybody has an anointing and it's been given to you by God. And you've got to die to the, the desire for you to control the anointing that God has given you because it doesn't belong to you. It belongs to God and it's on you. Though it belongs to God, it's on you and yourself will get you into a whole lot of messes in your life your desire, what you want out of this life, what you ain't going to ever do and what you're not going to handle. Have you ever said that before? I ain't never going to do that. They ain't never going to catch me up like that. I will never. I don't care how people get there. I'm never going to get there like that. All of that. And life has a way of making us all hypocrites, don't it? Life has a way. Life will break you down so much that you will end up saying yes to one season you swore you'd say no to. You'd end up... 
I'm, I'm preaching to the, I, I thought I was at the city. I hope, is there any real folks in here? You'll say yes to folks that you said you'd always say no to. Now he don't look bad now that you're 51 and you ain't got no man. Y'all ain't. Uh-huh. She ain't all that. She ain't all that bad now that you by yourself. And you, but because life has a way of eroding the pride and the arrogancy that exists in man. But self is the part of us that will be stubborn and hold on regardless of if it's for our good or not. Have you ever operated in self? Self, self is equated to your will. Your will is an important part of you because your will is the part of your psyche. This is what the philosophers say, that the will is the part of the psyche that helps you decide your deepest desire when you're at the point of decision. So, so self and your will doesn't even show up until you're about to make a decision about something. And when you get ready to make a decision, yourself, your will, the person's will, will start to seek out the thing deepest in your heart and raise it and touch that desire and we oftentimes have deep hidden desires that we don't want to admit oh I wish I was preaching to a sanctified church in here I know you're not supposed to say I know what you're not supposed to talk about I know what you're not ever supposed to admit I've been in church long enough to know how many hypocrites I have to worship with but the reality of it is is that we got stuff deep inside of our spirit that we don't want nobody to know that I'm really jealous of her and I really don't like him and I really want committed to being mad and I really just want to beat them instead of support them I know it's deep in, I know you don't want to admit it, but your will, you've got some deep desires inside of you. Your highest desire is not that she be blessed. Your highest desire is that she is blessed as long as she's not as blessed as you. Your highest desire is that he wins as long as he doesn't beat you. Y'all are not talking back to me in here. I want I wish I was preaching to a sanctified church. I, I, am I talking to anybody in here? Your deep deepest desire is that I can be comfortable, not that I can have the job that I'm telling everybody that I want because I really don't want to work for what I've been saying. I wish somebody just scoop me up and take me off my job, but the problem is we're too phony to say that. We have taught you in the church that if you say that, then you're some kind of way a bad guy, but Jesus wouldn't heal a person until they said that they were broken. Will thou be made whole? Oh, you better tell me you broke if I'm going to make you hot. I need somebody that's ready to go to their next level that can say I'm ready to die to myself even if it means exposing myself. God, you got to clean this up. Ask your neighbor, what are your desires? What are your desires? What are your desires? I want to see the glory of God fall as long as the glory of God fall when I preach. As long as I want to see the power of God move. As long as the power move when I'm praying. I want to see the power of God flood his house as long as I got the mic when the water start coming. Y'all are not talking. I wish somebody opened up their mouth and that self is the most selfish thing you can operate in. The Bible said that he looked at his father in prayer and he said, if I could be honest with you, 
I want you to take this cup away. He said, I'm not going to give my will an opportunity to make me a hypocrite. The truth is I committed to dying, but I don't really want to. He said, so if you will take this cup away, because this is my truest self, is that I want to please you, but I got a part of me that don't want to go with your plan. I want to get there. I just don't want to get there the way he's trying to take me there. I mean, I need the church to say something back to me. Is this too much truth today? Is it, is it, just say, ouch, if it hurt. Just say, ouch, if it hurt. He said, oh, God, I want destiny. I just want to be in control of the journey of how to get to destiny. So, so, so God, take the cup from me. Come do it. I know you can. You got all power in your hand. He said, that's my truest self. That's my real intention of my desire. And that's what my will is going to stand on if I don't confess it. <laughs> he said, so nevertheless, not my will. Let your will be done. I'm going to die to myself to get to where I make the commitment I'm going to. God, help me in this place. I'm going to die to myself. I know I'm tired, but I'm going to wake up anyway. Y'all ain't talking back to me. I know I made some bad choices. I'm going to own them and keep on moving anyway. I know I didn't do it the way it was supposed to be done. I'm going to do it again, and I'm going to get there anyway. I'm going to die to myself. I'm not going to blame my neighbor. I'm not going to say it's somebody else's fault. I'm not going to put the onus on the man, on ism and racism and sexism. I'm going to take my part in it, and I'm going to take my medicine, and I'm going to get to where God told me because this time, Jesus said, this one ain't the devil, and neither is this one Judas. This is me looking you back in the face saying, do it another way. Because that's my deepest desire in this moment, and it is the intention of my will. And he said, but, but I'm going to die. I'm going to kill the life of my will right now and let your will be done. Remember that the will is the part of the human psyche that attaches itself to your deepest desire, to your highest desire. It's the part of me that gets in and it filters itself through everything you've been doing and everything you've been saying and it gets to your deepest desire. So this is what God does whenever God wants to be preferred. He just becomes your greatest desire. Jesus, help me in the place. See, well, see, some people be like, they be like, well, God made me do it. God made me do it. God didn't make you do it. God, God just got into your, into, into your space and became your deepest desire. And you made the decision that you're going to do it because your will attached to him being your deepest desire. And that's how you got to the altar and said, God, take control and over my life. And now your will is locked to walking with God, not because you chose God, but because God made himself the highest priority of your desire. And when your psyche caught him, God, y'all better see the Bible. Repent means to change your mind. So your mind has to be engaged with making the decision. But if my will has to be connected to my commitment of being saved, then now my will has to be connected to God being my highest priority. But when I'm in sin, he is not my highest priority. My own desires are his highest priority. But when God is ready to move my life, he shifts over my priority and makes himself his, my highest priority. And when my mind engages with his priority the will of myself gets locked with the priority of my heart and I am committed from now until and that is the kind of person God says I'm going to be with you always 
Somebody shout, die to self. The third and the final thing you got to die to is, is you have to die to depression. Okay, but pastor, I don't walk in depression. I want you to see what he said in the scripture. He says in verse 45, he said he rose up from prayer and he came to his disciples and he found them sleeping with sorrow. Sleeping with sorrow. These men have been with Jesus for three years now. And having been with him for over three years now, they know that they're at the culmination of his time on earth. There is pressure, societal pressure. There is spiritual pressure. There is physical pressure that is happening over on their lives. Not because they've got to go to a cross, but because they connected to somebody that will go to a cross. And, and the weight of the enormity of the moment. Have you ever been under so much stress? You just want to go take a nap. Amen. I, 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 can y'all tell us? You ever, that, let me tell you, that is, that is according to the seven types of depression, that is called atypical depression. Because atypical depression doesn't necessarily take on the same commonalities of the other six. It is atypical. It is not the typical symptoms of depression. Because we think that depression, just because it robs you of your joy and your happiness in life, and it attacks anything that makes you happy, we think that the rejection and seclusion and walking away and hating on things that we used to love is the ultimate sign of depression. But that is not the ultimate sign of depression. There are symptoms of depression that you can be in short term or you can be in long term, but it's depressive nonetheless. And the world, especially folks with color, we don't like to talk about being depressed ever. Because don't nothing depress us. We ain't never been depressed. If you've ever had, so wait a minute, first of all, you can't be in this country and have color and not be depressed. I'm just trying. There's just so much that's happening in life. That is not a racial comment. That is just so much happening in this world that is against blacks and brown people of the world that it is impossible for you not to understand that you are operating in depression. And one of the greatest tactics that the enemy has against us is that he oftentimes has us believing that we are not operating in what we are literally operating in. So we live depressed, but don't believe we're depressed. And the reason why you can't get off that couch is not because you're lazy. It's because a note on your door that says you got a three-day hit and quit will take all the energy out of your life. And my, a doctor's report that says you've got more sickness than you've got money. make you not want to, am I preaching to anybody? You ever been, they were wide awake 10 minutes ago. And as I started to think about the enormity of the journey, that soon Roman soldiers would be crashing this. And I don't know, maybe they'll confuse me with Jesus and take me in. Or maybe they'll take me according to Roman law that I could be tried by being a conspirator with him. I don't know. But, but the weight of it made them say, I'm going to sit down. And what happens in atypical depression when you go to sleep in sorrow, your whole body starts shutting down to conserve the energy that you got left. Kind of like your telephone going in sleep mode. Now, I ain't at the end of the battery. It just cuts off everything that will draw from the battery. 
Jesus. And depression is a spirit. Depression is a spirit. Did you hear what I just said? You can rebuke depression. You can fight depression. Listen, and, you, and, and I'm not saying you shouldn't be medicated for depression, but I'm also saying that you don't have to live the rest of your life medicated fighting depression. But pastor, that's, that's on, that only happens for communities up the street. No, it happens to you. It happens to me. It happens to us. It happens to all of us. Save, fill with the Holy Ghost, full of purpose. But you can never walk in your purpose if you're caught in the comatose that depression brings in your life. Depression, I don't want to pray. I don't want to try. I don't want to go down to this bank. You have everything necessary. Got your LLC, got your checks, got everything. But I just can't quite get down to the bank. And I've got destiny that's waiting to be engaged. But, but the stress of life, stress of life make you put on a hat instead of comb your hair. Stress of life make you pop gum instead of brush your teeth. I know y'all smiling at that. I'm telling you what I've seen. Stress of life make you look in the mirror and say, I'm fine. I'm fine. When you're the only one that actually believes that when they look at you. That's. About four years ago, my brother drove all the way down from San Jose, California to knock on my door. He got to my room. I opened the door. I was so happy to see him. Hey, bro, what you doing here? He said, you haven't answered your phone in four days. He said, nobody knows where you are. Nobody knows what you're doing. I'm like, well, that's the way to come at me. Still your big brother. He said, look at you, you look a plum mess. So I hadn't shaved. I mean, I got up and, you know, washed up and all that kind of stuff because I ain't never that depressed. <laughs> but, I could, but I could manage to get on a pulpit and preach on Sunday. Monday was my day off. I could push my meetings on Tuesday off till Friday. And by Wednesday, which was Bible study, I didn't have to see nobody till 6 o'clock. I could be in the spirit. And people said amen. And people shouted. And people sent me emails about, oh, you preaching out of the anointing. Oh, you preaching under the power of God. This is the way you use your pain. Let the pain be your anointing. And they didn't know that when I was leaving this, this stage, I was going home and I was closing my door till Wednesday. And I was fine. Because I could type on my computer and I was fine because I could write a little bit. I was fine because I could watch the news and I had, I had tons of material to bring to the pulpit. Because, because that wasn't a symptom of depression. You can't be depressed at work. So somebody convinced me, they say, hey, man, this is what you got to do. You got to get up. You got to come with me. Uh, you know, they're going to pay for this thing, you know, with the NFL concussion and all that stuff. I go to, to Las Vegas to be a part of this test. I'm sitting in the room with the psychologist, uh, Brother Mel, and I'm talking to the psychologist, and I'm telling them. I'm going to tell Mel was probably one of the few people I actually told this to. I'm telling the lady, I'm telling the guy, I'm like, hey, man, this is what's happening in my life. This is what's going on in my life. And I said, you know what? Sometimes, man, I just don't be, I just get tired. You know, I felt like I got someplace to go, so I might as well be honest with my help. 
but who's been anointed to help me. I might as well tell the truth to him. And I told him, I said, man, sometimes, I said, I go fine for about two or three, four days, and then I just be laid in the bed. I just don't feel like doing nothing. I said, and then I get up and I do my job well and everything, and then I just, I'd be like, I said, and I think it's because, you know, I'm a spiritual person, and when you, when you preach, you preach out of your spirit, and, and, and sometimes, you know, when you're going through stuff, you're more in touch with your spirit, and, and, you, and the spirit has more energy and power than the body, and I preach so hard out of my spirit that my body is exhausted, and, and, the, and the guy just looked at me like, really, that, would, that the excuse you're going to give? He said, that's the excuse you're going to give? He said, Mr. Fletcher, I'm going to tell you what's happening with you. He said, you're having depressive episodes, episodic depression. And what episodic depression is, is it doesn't stick with you all the time. You don't have a black cloud over you all the time. It just shows up in episodes. So you're feeling like you're okay and you're doing pretty good and all of a sudden, shh, I don't want to get out of this bed. I don't want, I said, but it never stopped my prayer life and it never stopped my, my study habit and it never stopped me. It never did it. It just would zap all the strength out of me. He said, it's still depression. I said, but you know, in my head going through all of the stereotypes, I don't look depressed. I don't act depressed. I don't walk depressed. And I can do stuff. I'm not neglecting everything. I'm not doing stuff. And then, then, then it, it dawned on me that the guy that was waiting for me in the, in the waiting room was my brother. And he said, bro, you was off the radar for four straight days with your anointed self, with your praying self. I said, I, making every bill with your ability to make every bill self. And I had to own this, that an enemy of my destiny was my depression. An enemy of my purpose was my inability to be honest with what I was caught in. It's my inability. I said, Doc, I'm all the way in. Start going to hang, I start doing counselors, start spending time with my brothers, start coming out, coming out, coming out. And, and, I, and, I, and, I, and I realized this, I realized this, I realized this, that, that, that there is a such thing as sleeping unto sorrow. And yeah, there are some people that would just disappear off the radar and have depression, but there are other people that would be here every Sunday. There are some people that could still wake up, make breakfast, make sure the kids have their lunch, make sure you get off to work, give you the loving that you need, and cry all day long until dinner time. There are still people that can wake up in the morning, kiss you on the forehead, go to their nine to five and have to sit in the driveway before they come in the house operating in the, there is a such thing as a functional depressant and I know we don't like to deal with that because we want to dance and we want to shout and we want to do all that good stuff at church but I'm telling somebody that I feel it in the spirit and the reason why we came here today is because it's in the spirit that God is saying you can die, you can kill off the power of depression in your life. I want you to stand up all over this building. I want you to stand up all over this building. Because Jesus had to die. And in that episode, three things were died to. Temptation, self, and depression. Temptation, self, and depression. And I don't know 
which one you're dealing with today. But I suspect everybody in here is dealing with one of those three. I don't know what you're wrestling with today, but I suspect everyone in this place is wrestling with one of those three. In this moment, my heart is most heavy about depression. In this moment, lift those hands, lift those hands. In this moment, my heart is most heavy about depression. Just break out in tears for no reason at all. Atypical depression. Can't get your attitude under control. That's my hormones, Pastor. Are you sure? Are you sure? I'm coming for that devil today in the name of Jesus. I know this is one of those things we don't like to talk about at church, but I'm coming for that devil in the name of Jesus. Because it's not a sign that you're not saved. It's not a sign that you ain't walking with God. It's not a sign that God doesn't love you. It's a sign that there is weight that has to get off of you. And some of it is natural and others of it is spiritual. But it has to get off of you today in Jesus' name. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Depression is a demon. It is a spirit. It is a spirit. It is a spirit. It is a spirit. It will rob the joy out of life. It is a spirit. It'll make you give up on what God told you to give up on. It is a spirit. It will take your energy and your vitality. You're only 50 years old. You should have plenty of energy to go about your life. The devil of depression is real. Men. Men. Where are my men? Don't lie to yourself. You've got too much to do. You've got too far to go. Then for you to lose to this enemy called depression. And I'm not excluding you if you're struggling with temptations or if you're struggling with arrogancy and self. I'm not excluding you, but I feel the anointing for, for depression now. Depre if I'm talking to you, and you've been wrestling and battling with depressive episodes in your life. I want you to come down to this altar right now. I want you to move out of your seat and come to the altar. I want to pray with you now. Come out of your seat. 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 Move as quickly as you can. Move. If I, I would be at this altar if I wasn't calling this altar. Move out of your seat, move out of your seat, move out of your seat. You're not crazy, you're not off, you're not wayward, you're not broken, you're not misused. What is the 